Hello, sir. Hello. So hi, everybody. Um, welcome. This is Coach Laura Swain, and I'm happy you're here today. Um, another person I am happy that is here today is my friend and very inspiring human being, Omar Lima. Um, Omar, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Thank you for having me. You know, I just wanted to start out today um, with a little background from you. So if we could hear um, a little bit about your childhood and sort of how you grew up and then how that kind of led you to who you are today. All right. I was very fortunate to have two fathers. One father was my biological father. He was very independent. Uh, he was homeless. And my stepfather was an extreme disciplinary uh, U.S. Marine that did three, four tours of Vietnam. And I was able to choose between the two men of who I wanted to be. And I'm so grateful to have both of them in my life to learn both sides of the spectrum so that I can be hopefully somewhere in the middle. So that is what influenced me as my in my childhood. And being the personal trainer who I am today, that comes from my stepfather. When we were young, or when I was young, we would eat dinner, and as a family, we would work out together. And I didn't realize how that influenced me in my career until one day I started thinking about it. Someone asked me, did you grow up working out? And I was like, wait a minute, I did. After dinner, my stepdad would force us to go sit in the sauna for five weeks or five minutes, and then we'd work out as a family, and then we'd be done. I didn't realize how influential that was in my life until later. So you said uh, you're a personal trainer, but I know you have a little bit of a different, different <laughs> I would say you're, you're the average, whatever the average personal trainer is. Um, so how would you define uh, your occupation relative to being a personal trainer? So I'm categorized as a personal trainer, but I don't, <laughs> I don't identify myself as a personal trainer because I don't want to be stuck in the boundaries of a brand or of a name or a category. I think I'm a lot more than just a personal trainer. So that's why I don't brand myself. I'm just me. So if you are more than a personal trainer, uh, what does that mean to you? What do you, what do you offer that, that maybe the average personal trainer wouldn't offer? Well, this comes from 22 years of experience. And the stereotype of a personal trainer is someone who works people out and rep counts. And that is part of the, part of it, but that's so small that it shouldn't even be considered when talking about what we do. We, or I, really look into people, observe their blocks, and help identify those blocks to help them achieve their goal. 
because it's not about working out. There's something bigger, deeper. And that's what I find. And once we identify that, getting to the goal is really easy. So that's what separates me from your personal training trainer category versus what I do. When you first started out as a personal trainer, were you just working people out and counting reps? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was a personal trainer when I started. (laughs) Yeah. And then that changed at some point. Do you remember when? Yes. When I was a manager at 24 Fitness, I was managing clubs. And I realized that I was looking at people as numbers again. Or not again. I was looking at people as numbers. And I had gotten away from working with people. And I realized that my passion is working with people and not creating or building a business. So when I left the the corporate life to go back into one-on-ones, that's when the passion came back. And then that's when I was able to grow from that point. And then I realized that there was, it was more than just counting reps and choosing exercises. (laughs) What? Yes. (laughs) So was there a particular client you remember that um, when you first started that you were working with that you realized the root issues were actually what were impacting their um, results? Wow. Well, there's a lot of people who tend to believe in societal norms and people tend to focus on the societal norms and create or attempt to create a foundation on the societal norms. And it's not about the societal norms. It's it's who you are as a person. So each individual that comes in, when they come in, looking for a certain goal, I know there's something deeper. So opening their eyes to that. So I guess specifically, it isn't one individual. It's happened with every single client. And I've realized there's always something holding them back. And that's the fun part is to find it. And with that in mind, that you're able to work with people and, and figure out that thing that's holding them back or the things that are holding them back. That makes me think that you've done that work yourself and gotten into the things that have held you back. So what has that looked like for you in your personal life? Wow. And the reason I say, wow, is because yes, you're hundred percent correct where I've done and continuing to do the work myself. And because I know what that work entails, I'm able to understand people a lot more. So I don't teach anyone anything that I haven't done myself. And realizing why I had the obstacles that I had made made all sense. And because I'm not anyone different, I'm just like everyone else. So when I hear everyone else's issues or obstacles, I'm able to relate. And because I've 
conquered a lot of my obstacles. It makes it easier for me to influence others to conquer their obstacles. I think the thing that I notice most about you, and, and for those of you listening, you would have no way of knowing, but I've known Omar for um, around 13 or 14 years. He could tell you exactly because, <laughs> because he remembers everything. But um, it was around 2007 that we met um, when I was working as a trainer at Valley's also uh, <laughs> counting reps and uh, working people out and focusing on numbers on the scale and things. And one of the things that I have noticed that I keep telling you about is this layer of compassion that I see from you and I have seen from you over the years that keeps kind of getting bigger and bigger. And not that it didn't exist in you when we met, but the level of understanding you have regarding your clients and people as opposed to what can sometimes show itself as frustration with people <laughs> um, has been really inspiring because the, the more you work on you and work through your stuff, the more you're able to help the people around you and the greater the accomplishments and the life transformations can be. And if we, if we could all click into that, how beautiful it would be that we could help each other more and more and more but it takes a lot of courage to take, to take the steps to do the work on your yes. own. Was there a point when you decided that you remember uh, that you thought, wow, things are getting reflected back to me. I need to, I need to look at that. One of the biggest things that really popped out was that I was working with clients and realize that their obstacles were my obstacles. And I'm a strong believer that you attract what you're looking for. And this works both ways. The client re either knows or doesn't know what they're attracting. And when I pop up into the picture, <laughs> I realize that I've manifested them as well. So both of us have been looking for something and the answer is us. So when I start realizing all the issues <laughs> were so familiar, like I said, it was common ground and I was able to understand more. And then once I realized that it was, I was attracting my issues, I started to work harder on myself. And then once I realized that once you put in the work, once you climb that mount, mountain, this, the, the feeling of success, the feeling of reward, the feeling of happiness, the feeling of overcoming that obstacle feels so much better than trying to hide that pain. And because I know how it feels to overcome those, I'm so passionate and telling other people to stick with it. Because when you realize, when you finally get over the mountain, it's going to be so much happier. And when they don't, that's when my passion comes out. I'm like, just do it. You don't understand how much happier it's going to be just to endure this beginning because the end is going to be so rewarding. And 
it's surprising to see a lot of people not want to go through the pain. But that's why I'm here. I've been through the pain. I welcome the pain because just like the weight training that we do, when we weight train, we actually, the resistance tears the muscle and then you're sore for a couple of days and then you heal back up and then you're ready to make yourself sore again, which is crazy. <laughs> but, but no one is willing to do that with their mind. And if we just endured it, life will be so much Encouraging people, just go through the pain, go through the pain. And people who do go through it realize that I was correct. And that creates a stronger bond because now we're ready for the next one. And now the trust has been built. And now the next obstacle is even easier because we've been through the first one. There's no longer, I'm here to convince you how life is going to get easier. You already experienced it. Now it's a team together saying, hey, mount up. Let's go. Let's go. So that to me is exciting. That turnaround. That's what drives me. You know, someone the, the other day asked me, so Omar, what are we going to do to get you to climb your own ladder? How are we going to get you to work less? And I looked at him and said, well, you're assuming I don't like to work and do the things that I'm doing. And he looks at me and goes, oh, I didn't think about that. Of course. You just see the, the structure of work. What I'm doing is much more than work. I'm changing people's lives. And that, there's nothing that can give me more pleasure than being a part of someone's journey. So I don't want to grow the business. I'm fine working with the people who I'm working with because that's the only thing that matters today. No one cares about tomorrow. No one cares about yesterday. Those days don't exist today. And right now, today, I'm working with people. And that's all I want to do. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing when you, when you can see the, see the light for people and, and they don't yet. And the ones that make it, to your point, to that, oh, I get it now, now I trust you, let's do this. And that in-between phase um, for trainers, I think is a really interesting <laughs> phenomenon. It's very different with, with different people, but um, it's like this, no, but, <laughs> but I promise if you get here and the familiarity of them seeing what they've already experienced before, because that's what's familiar, right? So they've seen themselves not make it or not be successful or not lose the weight or not build strength or whatever the thing is and give up. And it's so, for me personally, heartbreaking when people don't see it and quit, but it's so beautiful who you end up with because those are like your people and we're their people and you're theirs. And it's so magical to see someone light up and realize they had no idea what they could even accomplish. It's a really magical experience for sure. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what work you've done specifically. And I feel like there might be a lot, <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not in any disrespectful way, but I just know you've done some 
some really cool things that you've talked to me about in terms of working with coaches and stuff. I'd love to hear some of those. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of a long story and how it began and how that incident has taken me through this journey. So I remember at my first club in Whittier, I was at my desk working and there was this man next to me on the treadmill because my desk was close to the treadmill. And I had seen him throughout the weeks. And one day he decided to talk to me and he says, what are you doing with your life? And I looked at him like working at 24 hour fitness, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the corporate man, I'm the businessman. This is what I do. And he's like, okay, I want you to read three books. And he goes, grab a piece of paper and a pen. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay. And I wasn't really paying attention to him because I had work that I was doing, but I was pleasing him. So he told me to write three books. I write them down and never saw him again. So I got those books written down, never even looked at him again. Didn't talk about it, not a nothing. It was kind of like, eh. And then I had transferred to Northern California and life was not working out the way I wanted. And I was falling behind. And I got to the point where I was financially stuck, which made no sense because I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't doing things correctly. So it got to the point where I had no entertainment, couldn't afford to pay my cable bill. So I was forced to read. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, this guy had just been transferred in from another club and he was all about self-help and he was all about reading books. So I looked at him, I said, hey, what book would you recommend? And he goes, oh my, read this book. It's such a great book. So I got it read the book and I started thinking to myself, man, this book sounds very familiar. I've never read it, but it sounds familiar. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's not hitting me up. So I went back to him, I said, all right, what's the next book? So he gave me the other book, start reading it. And I said, wait a minute, this book sounds mighty familiar, but I don't read books. So I couldn't have read it. <laughs> So then I was like, okay, I finished it. I went up to him again. I said, all right, what's the next book? So then he recommended me the third book. And then halfway through the book, I said, wait a minute. I've read this book, but I don't read books. So how can I have read it? It makes no sense. And then I reminded, it re-hit me, the guy in the treadmill. So I remember that I still had that notebook where I wrote the three books. So I found it and I opened the notebook. And I realized that the three books that I had just read were the three books that that guy had recommended. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, this is so awesome. <laughs> and then I started doing the math. And I said, wait a minute, the guy told me to read this book over two years ago. I'm now just reading it. Oh my God, I'm two years behind. That, when it hit me, told me to never think about doing something 
I'm going to do it because obviously I manifested it. The messenger came unexpectedly with some random dude on a treadmill next to me. And he's like, read these, read these, read these. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then finally I have to hit the hole and then find these books by accident. I was like, nah, I can't do this again. So that was the beginning Mm -hmm. of the growth. So that was the self-help where I was learning about myself. And then once I left 24 Hour Fitness, I was going to people's homes where I met my future spiritual advisor. And she opened my eyes to the spiritual world. And that I didn't realize that I was working on me, on my purpose and my vision. So after about three or four years, she looked at me and she says, well, I can't teach you anymore. And I go, what do you mean? It's like, well, you've reached the teacher. I can't teach you anymore because you reached my level. Our work is done. And I remember being so hurt. I'm like, what do you mean? I go, no, there's so much more that I need. She goes, no, our work is done. And I hadn't seen her for five years after that. She literally said, our work is done. (laughs) So I had to search for another master, another teacher, which then I found a meditation teacher. And I was with her for a couple of years. She opened my eyes to a lot of things as well. So I've been very fortunate enough to have these masters in my life. I, I don't mind being the apprentice. And I think that's what helps me be, helps me be a, a strong leader because I understand how to lead and I also understand how to follow. So that's my quick journey of self-help. Wow. You have these... <laughs> these movie moments in your life. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy, the guy on the treadmill and you're like whatever that's fine sir yes are you paying your dues that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> the other one that i'd love for you to share uh is the is the sailboat the sailboat oh, so i was working in santa cruz and i was at the front desk scanning people in this guy comes up to me i haven't seen him ever before in my life, and I haven't even seen him since. But he walks in, I grab his card, I scan him, and he looks at me and says, when's your birthday? Like kind of a random question, weird random question to ask someone you don't even know. But I said, October 22nd. He thinks for a little bit, and he goes, ah, your elements are wind and water. You should live your life like a sailboat. And then walked away. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? What does that mean? I don't understand. Please come back. Tell me. (laughs) So I eventually had to figure it out with my uh, spiritual advisor and what the moral of the lesson was. Don't fight life. Go with the flow. And that going with the flow has led me here. (laughs) So I don't fight life. So when I have someone who's interested in hiring me. And if I feel like they're not ready, I don't take them. I'm not here to convince you if you're ready or not. You have to convince yourself 
And once you're convinced and you're ready to go, I'm ready to go with you. But if you're not ready, I can't take you because I understand where the mindset is that has to be convinced. And that's just not part of my journey with them. You have to come in ready to be on the train because this train's not stopping. This train's going. And have no judgment to the people who have to think about it or are on the fence. That's totally fine. But like I said, this train doesn't stop. So while you're sitting and thinking and contemplating, you're now behind, just like I was two years behind with not reading those books. So that lesson was so powerful. It's a really good lesson for people who support people and and work with them in all capacities that if they're not ready, they're just not ready. Mm -hmm. And I, (laughs) I've learned that lesson a lot in my business. I, I really was trying to save the world when I, when I became a trainer and I eventually realized that that wasn't doing anything for anyone. And it's such a powerful lesson to realize, uh, that when people are ready, they're ready. And when they want to do it, they'll do it. And there's nothing you can do that's going to change that. Um, Omar takes this a step further, which for anyone who knows him, isn't terribly surprising that it's a step further in that there's no, he has no social, <laughs> social media presence. No, <laughs> like, you're, like the people that find him, it's, it's, it's mystical. I mean, uh, that find him, but they, but they do. So at what point, Omar, did you decide that you didn't want to be on social media at all anymore? It was four years ago. And the bigger picture, the, I guess the, the surface was when we changed presidents four years ago, five years ago now, I just knew that the environment and social media was not going to be productive. So because I knew that, that was kind of the initiation of it's time to go. But the philosophy comes from, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And in the movie Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker is looking to become a Jedi. And he knows that his path, his journey, he needs a master. And the only master is Master Yoda. But there was no directions of where Master Yoda was. You know, he was asking, hey, where's, where's Master Yoda? He's at the Dagobah system. Oh, yeah, where's that? <laughs> so he had to search and find his master because that's also part of the journey. So I took that philosophy and people who find me, it was meant to be. And the people who don't find me just wasn't meant to be. And there's no judgment. I just am a strong believer that we manifest what we want in our life. And if you find me and I'm not advertising, that means it was meant to be. Mm. So that is more powerful than just cold calling people and having people just cold call me. There's no connection. So if you can find me, find the needle in the haystack, that in a sense is the connection. That in itself is the dedication. Okay. Now you got me in front of you. What's next? So that's where we go from there. Okay. 
So in terms of, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. It's, um, in this podcast, I'm really, really focusing on just inspiration in general. I love non-traditional views. I love learning about people's stories and sort of how they got to where they are and just what makes them tick, um, how they've gotten through difficult times, all of those things. So before I get into that with you, I'd love to know if you consider yourself successful. It depends on the definition of successful. Why don't you share what your definition is of successful, if you have one? I'm 43 years old. I've made it this far. That's pretty successful. Okay. <laughs> to be able to experience a day, every single day, for 43 years, that's success. So, yes. Okay. <laughs> now, not to say that when I die, I'm all of a sudden unsuccessful because, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know what that realm holds but to be healthy, to have a mobile body, to be happy, to have a foundation. That to me, I'm enjoying life. So I am extremely successful. And along that realm, in terms of the successes, there are also dips in our lives mm -hmm. would you be open to sharing a difficult time in your life and how you got yourself through it wow uh, well the thing is I understand life, meaning I know there's peaks and there's valleys. But when things seem to be un, unhappy or there's a dip in the road, I always look at it as a learning experience. So I really don't have something specific, but I do have the understanding that everything that happens that's an obstacle there's always a, a lesson behind it and the fun part about looking at dips is have i repeated this problem now if i've repeated the problem now it's an issue and if i'm still continuing it that means there's an issue so the understanding of how to break that pattern is what I focus on more than looking at, oh man, this is tough. You know, so I just, I just know challenges are always are going to rise. So I just look at it as, okay, so what's the next challenge? You know, they say when you climb a mountain, when, as soon as you get to the top, you're automatically looking for the, the higher mountain. So I know that every obstacle is just a mountain and life is going to have an endless amount of mountains. So I just take it on the chin <laughs> and roll with the punches. Um, so dirt, so it, like, for example, a difficult something comes up. Okay. I, I'm not trying to get into a specific. I'm just saying to go off of what you said, just for 
just for understanding, what one of the things I like to do is offer people tools when things feel overwhelming or difficult and um, not reassurance, but hearing people's stories for me personally is like, oh, okay, so-and-so got through this and maybe that's a different way I can look at it. So, so tools, I guess, is the best way to yes. say it. So when something hits you or you take one on the chin, um, is it at that point you've learned to go, okay, I know this is a lesson kind of almost immediately? It's immediate. Okay. Because I have gotten this far looking at life that way. So I understand the universe has a personality. <laughs> <laughs> and the personality is always to push you with the buttons that are vulnerable. And also the emotion. And the biggest emotion on a negative is fear. And once you realize you can identify the emotion, then you realize the body and the brain are attempting to communicate with you. So for me, when I think of fear, I think I need more information. Because if I'm fearful of something, I don't have the whole information. So I go and research, I read, I just bury myself with that subject. And then once I get a better understanding, then I can have a different perspective. Not that I'm attempting to justify my way of thinking, but I need to understand what this fear is setting me up for. And then once I look at it that way, it's no longer affecting me. It's now driving me. And I think that's the biggest difference is that I don't allow things to affect me. I allow it to drive me, it affect me in a negative way. So it affects me in a positive way where it becomes a driver. So I spin it to the point where it helps me as opposed to where I think about it and then either build a depression or an anxiety out of it. So no judgment on those emotions. I just understand how powerful it is. So I refuse to go there. In terms of, you know, we, we talked on success and success is you sitting here today and me sitting here today and how beautiful that is. Um, there are some things outside of that that you have accomplished um, that I think are pretty incredible. And I'd love to hear from you what, well, there was a very recent incredible yes. accomplishment. Maybe you could share with the people. Yes. <laughs> it took me a span of 14 years, but it took me 11 years of work to accomplish the biggest and the most proudest accomplishment in my life, which is receiving my black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if anyone knows anything about Jiu-Jitsu or martial arts, people will realize the understanding how, how difficult jujitsu is not to take away from other arts, but there's something with jujitsu is extremely tough. And when people fulfill their dreams and finally achieving that black belt, black belt, it's a, an overwhelming feeling. It's like, Oh my God, I, I made it. 
but then we realize that that celebration is short-lived because now there's another mountain with that black belt, which is a different story. But the black belt that I just received in April is my biggest accomplishment to this day. I mean, I'm very proud of that accomplishment because I realized how much blood, how much sweat, how much tears that I went through for those 14 years. It tests your ego. It tests your self-esteem. It brings up all your fears, all your everything, because you realize that no matter how good you get, there's always someone that's bigger, always someone that's better. That understanding humbles the jujitsu practitioner because it's never ending. You know, Joe Rogan said it best. He said, jujitsu is like this. I do a move on you, you do a move back to me. I do it to you, and then you do it back to me. Forever. <laughs> it doesn't end. So because there is no end, the journey is just as long. And you can't learn everything under forever. So that's, I guess, to be official and grab, getting the black belt and saying, hey, you started the journey. Now another journey starts. To know what it took to get there, that is why it's the biggest accomplishment in my life. Like nothing else matters. The business, the nothing, because the black belt has helped me become a better trainer, to humble me. And also, you know, getting my butt kicked and also learning instruction from the instructor. So it's like having a personal trainer. So I understand how it is to take instruction, to give instruction. Just, it has given me a huge perspective of both an instructor and or a client student. So I love it. Absolutely love it. It's my passion. What, what made you keep going back when things, you know, we talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about the humbling effects of jujitsu and the practice and how it would be really difficult one day and you basically get your ass handed to you and then you'd come back again and do it all over again. What, what did you tap into during that time that motivated you to keep coming back? So when I first started jujitsu, it was, you know, you have the option of wearing a kimono or no kimono, a gi or no gi. So when I first started, I was no gi. And things happened. I ended up stopping. And one of my friends received his black belt. And I had the biggest feeling of FOMO, I feel the, the feeling of being left out. And there's no way that the guy that I started with is going to get his black belt. And I'm sitting here not doing anything capable. That drive inside of wanting to accomplish my original goal of becoming the black belt, I, I couldn't think of quitting 
because that's pretty much what I did. I allowed the situation to stop me from reaching my goal. So when I saw my friend receive his black belt, it ignited this fire. But then the problem is I went to a new gym, Gi, which is a whole different art in itself. So I walked in thinking, okay, I have four years experience. I got this. And I was a blue belt. You know, it's white, blue, purple, brown, and black. And we were sparring in this white belt asked me to spar with him. And the first thing you do in sparring, you always look at each other's belts to kind of to gauge where the individual's at. So I looked at his and I'm like, okay, he's white. I looked at mine, I'm blue. Technically, I should be better. He killed me. And it hurt the ego. I don't like to say that I have an ego, but at that time I did. And it hurt the ego. And I remember having a conversation with myself that, that I wanted to quit. I'm like, nah, this, I can't go back after four years and I'll start a whole new art. And now this white belt is kicking my ass. Maybe this is not for me. So I had to have that conversation. And then it hit me. Why am I running away from being beat up? Why am I running away to save my ego? And I said, no. I couldn't live with my life knowing that I started something and quit because something was difficult. So my stubbornness prevented me from quitting. And I went back and I went back over and over. And I'm to this day still go. But if it wasn't for that humbling experience of him kicking my ass and then having the conversation to myself that how I can't quit, how can I talk to my clients about not quitting? when I just quit myself. I couldn't be a hypocrite. I have to lead by example. So I swallowed my ego, my pride, and went through it. And what's even funnier now is now that I'm here at the Black Belt, you know, I've waited 14 years to get here. And in my perspective, I spent so much time looking at the future that now that I'm here, I look, man, am I ready? Maybe I looked or thought of this too much where I'm missing so many things. Because now that I'm a black belt, people think, oh, well, you, you know everything. <laughs> You're supposed to beat everyone. And I don't feel that way. So then it tests your self-esteem. And it also tests your ego. If you say you don't have one. Well, now it's coming back because now you are in a whole new realm because now you're in a realm of black belts and there's people who've been black belts for 20, 30 years. When you go through these belts, white, blue, purple, brown, you might get some people at two years, three years, four years, maybe up to five years, but there's always a progression. But once you've progressed to the top, now there is no sympathy. Like you're a black belt. Okay. So you you're supposed to know how to fight. I'm not going to go easy on you. So it's just like, whoa, am I ready for this? So as I'm asking myself all these questions, I'm like, wait a minute. I just spent 14 years going through these questions. Why am I going through this again? You know, so it's always testing you, always humbling you, and always testing you to make sure that you either have lost your ego or if you're still driven by your ego. And everyone's different. 
the one thing that I wanted to do was learn jujitsu and appreciate the art, not be egotistical and say, oh, I'm stronger than you, I'm better than you, and I can beat you up. Because the first four years of my career was that. And it wasn't for me. So I had to change my perspective. So jujitsu has made me who I am today. Well, there are a lot of things that made me who I am today, but a strong influence is that internal battle that you have with yourself when you're fighting every single day. Because when you tap, you're literally conceding that you just died. So if, you know, you're like a video game. Every night you're, you're getting tapped and you're like, okay, I died three times today. The, the brain goes through something. Like you just died in the hands of another person. Humbling. So I enjoy it. I love it. And that's, <laughs> why I don't, that's why I don't look at problems in life the way the average person does. Because in jujitsu, jujitsu, when you're in a position, one of the first things they tell you not to do is panic. Because once you panic, you start moving and you start, you know, choking yourself and putting yourself in worse positions. One of the best things you do is you just relax and remember your training because there's always a rebuttal to every objection. And the only way you're going to remember that is if you can stay calm. So there's times in life where something's stressing me. I'm like, oh, uh, am I going to be able to get that? I go, wait a minute. I'm being choked out right now. Don't panic. Just remember your training and relax. So that's why it's so influence, influential in my life because I see the connections and how we react to problems. It's uh, so interesting how all of these experiences and challenges can come back to experience and challenges in life, that everything is a lesson if you really look at it that way what a what a you know you're talking about the the dip in life and then immediately i'm thinking that this is a lesson I mean, that's how you had to get yourself through for a while there like okay here's another lesson i don't <laughs> um that makes a lot of sense you talked uh you've mentioned a couple times your your words not mine stubbornness <laughs> <laughs> and drive do you think that that's something or those are things you've had your whole life? It was something that was so my, like I said, my stepfather was an extreme disciplinary and he would do things to push me, you know, looking back now, I realized there were motivators. Although at that time, I didn't look at it as motivators. I looked at it as, you're doubting me. You know, one of the things they would tell me, and I don't mean no disrespect to anyone who's listened to this, but he would tell me, if you don't change, you're gonna end up a statistic. And what he meant about that was, at that time, for a, a Latino male, by the age of 25, statistics show that they're going to be in jail, they're going to be dead, or they're going to have children. 
And I know it's it's generalizing, but that's what he used to push me. And I refuse to be that statistic. So because he set that challenge out there or that expectation, it pushed me to be the opposite because I wanted to prove to him how wrong he was. And here I thought he was serious, but in reality, he was just motivating me. So he saw it before I saw it. So that's how he motivated me. And I, on my 25th birthday, my goddaughter's father will, admit, you know, he will t- he'll tell you this. On my 25th birthday, I was celebrating because I was not a statistic. He's like, why are you so happy? You're only 25. But I go, but I'm not a statistic. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, I, so I told him the statistics and he's like, bro, I've never even heard that before. I go, I know, but that's what drove me. And I was just so happy that I accomplished that 25th birthday and not have those three things. So he drove me through my ego. Mm. And that's why my ego drove me for so long. But then I realized I don't need my ego. I have other things to drive me. The ego is what drove me emotionally because that's why I was upset at my stepfather. How dare him think I'm this way? Oh, I hate this guy. He's so this, he's so that. And it took my friend Larry to tell me as I would vent to everyone how horrible he was and how disciplined he was and how he didn't allow me to be a child. I couldn't do this. I couldn't watch football. I was always doing chores. And every time that I would vent, everyone would always, yeah, 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 he's an asshole. Yeah. And Larry was the only guy to tell me, it sounds like you had a father. I'm like, nah, Larry, you don't, you don't understand. <laughs> this guy was an asshole. <laughs> and he's like, it sounds like you had a father who cared. And I go, what do you mean? It's like, look at your life today. You mean to tell me all this was not influenced by that man? And it hit me. Wow. This whole time I've been looking at myself as a victim. Poor me. Oh, whoever would listen. Poor me. I didn't have a childhood. But here I am complaining on the mountaintop with my own business, you know, having the freedoms that I want to do. And I'm complaining. And after that conversation, I called up my mom. I said, I need Carl's number. Carl being my stepfather. And I called him up. I said, I, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you. And at that point, it's been 10 years since I talked to him. So I went to go talk to him. And he expected a fist fight. And I go, no, I'm not here to fight you. I'm here to thank you. I go, because of you, I am who I am. Because of you, I have this work ethic. Because of you, I have this discipline. Because of you, I have this. Now, I might not have agreed on how you taught me, but it was exactly what I needed. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, there is no book on how to raise a boy to be a man. He goes, the only thing that I knew in the Marines, he was a drill sergeant. And he goes, my job was to get these boys home from Vietnam. And if it worked for them, it was going to work for you. And he just, it hit me. That's love. I might not have seen it when I was in it. 
but to hear him say it and looking at his eyes. I knew that he cared. So I'm glad that I didn't hold on to that anger because I was able to have him in my life for the next 10 years. And unfortunately now he has dementia. So he's not there anymore. But if I would have never apologized, that would have been one of my biggest regrets in my life. Not having the opportunity to thank someone for changing my life. I'm so grateful that you saw that that was reflected back to you and that you got to do that. That opportunity is such a gift and we don't even know it until we have it. And the people that don't get it, oh man, it haunts them. Yeah. So I'm really grateful that you were able to see that, that you were open, open to seeing it, that your friend kicked your ass about it a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, told the difficult truth, which is, it's challenging, especially when you're close to somebody, you know, you kind of, you risk that sometimes to, to speak up. People could really take it the wrong way or it can, it can cause a rift. And so that's, that's really, really beautiful that y'all had that relationship that where he was like, this is how it is. That wasn't the first and only time either. (laughs) (laughs) That was the second time. (laughs) The first time, you know, I was, I had met him in Mountain View when I moved up from Southern California to Northern California. And, you know, we bonded. And I was so busy living my life that I had neglected my life, if that makes any sense. And he looks up to he looks at me one day and he goes, Omar, I love you to death, but you're a fat piece of shit. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you talking about? And my whole paradigm just shifted because what I justified before in the mirror, I now had what I call the reality eyes. And I was able to see what he saw. And I was like, man, I'm a fat piece of shit which then pushed me into changing myself. And I, he actually put me through a workout, the first workout, and it was a functional training workout, mm-hmm. which then opened the door to what I'm known for today, which is functional training, which if it wasn't for that and that knowledge, I wouldn't have been doing those exercises in valleys <laughs> and I wouldn't have attracted you and I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, what Omar is referring to is when we first met, I was a trainer at Bally's. He started at 24. I started at Bally's and I was one of the, few trainers that would sort of post up at the front. I don't know what the other trainers are doing. I had to make money. (laughs) So the other trainers, I'm not really sure what they were doing, but I was like, I have this opportunity. There's so many people coming in. I'm going to post up right at the front. 
I'm going to put all, all of the shiny things out, all the small apparatus equipment, all the hurdles and the ladders and make shit look cool. And, and it was fun and it was, you know, whatever, but it was really to draw people in and there weren't, no other trainers were doing that at, at the gym at the time. And, and like Omar, he started going to people's homes and doing mobile training. That's how I started um, as well, right before I got my job at, at Bally's. And so Omar was in there one day and like I said, no one else was doing it. And here this guy is posted up, taking up a full corner of space with his cones and his, what was that? Just like a resistance band around your yeah. waist? Um, and like running out and coming back and doing this agility stuff. And I'm like, who is this guy? But, uh, so anyway, I just felt very drawn and, and, and walked up and I don't even know what I said. You say I introduced myself to you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just drawn. Yeah, go ahead. And that turned into a workout at the park because remember you wanted to learn and you wanted me to teach you. Right. Yes. I did not remember that until now. Yes. We went to, um, I believe, a park in Mountain View, Shoreline Park. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of so began the, he was someone that, that was doing things that I had on my mind, but I, I also, I did not know I was going into the functional training realm, but just by virtue of going to people's homes, you get creative because I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to lug around <laughs> all of, you know, you don't, you can't bring the squat rack with you. And so you, you learn with a couple weights of friggin' stability ball, you know, and a, and a kettlebell that how to, how to train people. And I just transferred that to a gym that had all the equipment in the world. And I was still doing that training because I loved it because it was creative and fun because I never had to worry about anybody being on the machines. Um, and it was a really like full body experience, but I didn't really understand functional training. I had just started as a trainer, like seven months before that I'd gotten certified. So it was the initial meeting that I was definitely drawn to. I mean, talk about manifesting. Omar's got this energy that I, I don't know. I don't see how people walk by you. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't just come up to you and aren't, aren't drawn. The other thing that I remember so clearly, I remember that moment. I remember I was at work and you weren't working out there for a very long period of time, right? You were just Sorry, there you when you were, when you trained there, cause it wasn't like your normal place to work out. Correct. So I remember seeing you one other time and you were on one of the treadmills. Oh, yes. And there was this, I don't even know how to explain this light over him as if the whole, like it was like this angelic spiritual light <laughs> over him. And I had definitely never experienced anything like that in that Valleys on Hamilton and Meridian. And it was really powerful, but it was those moments where I knew that like you were just such an important person in my life in some capacity and important, like I hadn't really experienced before. So it was such a beautiful moment. And if I hadn't left my job and gone to Bally's and you hadn't right, all of the, all of the things that, that need to line up to create this, a lot of parallel experiences um, in our lives 
over the past decade plus. So it's really cool how that all came together and cheers to Larry for kicking your ass a couple of times. And <laughs> <laughs> we all need that friend, right? We all need yes. that friend. Um, so I wanted to, to ask you, you talked a lot about ego and humility and things like that. Do you consider yourself an inspiring person? I don't know what an inspiring person is or what they're supposed to be. Okay. I just live my life. And if that is powerful enough that you want to mimic it, then so be it. So it really goes back to you just being who you are. Mm -hmm. And if that in itself motivates people, then that's their experience. Yes. Okay. On that note as well, who or what besides jujitsu, which I'm assuming inspires you? I don't know if that's the right word. What are you inspired by? What are you motivated by? First and foremost, happiness. A foundation that's sturdy. You know, one of the things that I have always been good at was me. I can hold myself accountable. I cannot hold myself accountable. I know how to control me, whether it's good, whether it's bad, that's me. To find a partner and be in sync with that individual to build a foundation and to have someone that I respect as like more as much as me, that was the big step that I was missing in my life was the interdependence, meaning having the partner and building a strong foundation and growing together. That was extremely difficult to have someone that has the drive like you, the passion like you. And without me or her having to change the other person, that has helped my foundation. So when you say what helps me be successful, happy, it's my strong foundation the foundation at home. I've never had that before. And to find someone who's willing to go to hell and back with me, it's reassuring. And it's not about me anymore. There's a bigger picture. And even though we've been dating for seven years or so, it's still so new to me. And it forces me to become even a better person because I know what it feels like not to have it. I know how it feels like to have it. And I'm a lot more balanced person with it. So it pushes me to go above and beyond to better myself. I'm not here to better her. I'm not here to change her. It's all about me. And if I can take care of myself and get me on the right path, and I'm going to be a better partner for that person. And that is mutual. 
you know, before people would tell me, Omar, you're too picky, you're too this. There's 7 billion people in the world. There has to be someone who has the same type of passion as me. So to finally have found that person, it definitely has made life much, much easier. Now I know that's the epitome of team. You know, I've always had a team that I was a part of, but to have that home team, it's very moving. Yeah, foundation, foundation. It's uh, allows you to flourish, I feel like, in ways that you can't understand if you don't have it. So, right. um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So currently, you are working and helping people change their lives. You've talked about some of your bigger accomplishments. I always love to touch on the other, some of the other things that, I mean, that you've done in the time that I've known you that have been inspiring to me. Um, and I just love the idea, I guess, of sharing some of these things because I think that people don't think outside the box. And so like, for example, we've talked about your experience with the Tough Mudder race. And I didn't know there was anything outside of the Tough Mudder <laughs> until, <laughs> until I met Omar um, or until I talked to Omar about it. So you decided at some point years ago to, did you just decide initially to do one Tough Mudder? Was that what you did going in? I had made a 2012 goal. I wanted to do something that I had never done before. And in the beginning, because I had never done it, I was only thinking about me. And it wasn't until I spoke to my mom. And she says, you should do it for a purpose. And it just hit me. Like it was one of the most brightest ideas I've ever heard. And here I was, oh, this is what I want to do as opposed to looking at as what can I do for others? So I decided to contact uh, Lucille Packard and I told them that I wanted to raise money for their hospital. And, and how I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna run a Tough Mudder race one a month in a different state and just showing everyone my experience of this bigger cause. You know, the reason I started personal training in the first place other than the accident, it was because I didn't want kids to be overweight and experience something that I experienced as an overweight child in middle school. That was the deeper meaning of why I wanted to get into personal training. So to be able to raise money for Children's Hospital, it made me feel really good that I was doing it for a bigger purpose, not just because I was running a race. So I was able to travel all over the nation. I went to Canada twice, Vancouver, Toronto. I got to meet tons of people who I knew. I got to run races. And I also qualified for the big race at the end of the year, which is a 24-hour race. 
and it's a 10 mile loop. You really learn about yourself when you do things like that. And when you start wanting to quit because it's hard and they realize that this is not about you, that you made it about something else, a bigger purpose. It pushed me not to want to quit when times were tough because I was running for a purpose. So I was able to put all that pain away and enjoy the fun of what I was doing for that bigger purpose. So it was just, it was a great year. Yeah. You know, I wish I, I would love to do it again, but I don't want to take away from the memories that I created. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so I found different things to do. That's fair. Um, yeah, but it's just, it's an example of, <laughs> like, hey, Mar, what are you doing? Omar, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to do a Tough mutter. I'm going to actually do one a month for the next 12 months. Well, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna qualify for the world's toughest mutter, which I didn't know was a thing. Uh, it's a 24-hour race. I'm probably going to do that. <laughs> That's pretty much, you know, uh, you don't just do do a thing. You um, do a thing and you, you run with it. Uh, and to me, I know you've talked about sort of inspiration and just living in the moment and being present and all that. But I do think that there's something like, for example, moms saying, do it for a purpose, that in itself is inspiring, right? Because it creates this whole other realm uh, of possibility. And I think that's what a big part of what you've done for me in my life that we've known each other. You just you are just doing you. I certainly have never questioned the fact like, oh, is he doing this for me? It's definitely been for you, right? And I don't mean that in any way other than I understand you in that way. But the, that in itself, shit, well, if, if Omar can go here and do this and then do all of these other things and ultimately do this really, really big thing where he's challenged in all these different ways, it is just being around that energy expands your mind. Right. And that's been my experience. And that's also my hope that I do for people as well. Uh, and it just kind of, it branches out to everybody. It's so beautiful just by making a decision to go, oh, well, maybe I can do this for a different reason. And maybe this is way bigger than me. And then that in itself leads me to all these other, these other things. The, the other story that, that comes to mind that we talked about recently was skydiving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your experience with skydiving. <laughs> well, first, I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> like, I don't like looking down from high places. So skydiving has always been a dream for me. But I knew that I would have to overcome a fear of heights in order to achieve what I wanted to achieve. So I just went to class one day. I mean, I went to, uh, I went to Watsonville. I went skydiving. And it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was the first time that I realized what living in the moment was. Because as soon as you jump out of that plane, there is no tomorrow. There is no yesterday. There's not even 10 minutes ago. All there is is 
Ah! <laughs> and then I was addicted. I was like, wow, I want more. So I decided to get certified. Of course. And so, so I went, I went to, I went to skydiving school. And then when I went to skydiving school, I wanted to do this, the squirrel suit. I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I had all these goals and that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, so I went to skydiving school. <laughs> and what's even crazier? Yes, yes, I won. Is on the first day, you know, you sit and you read what you're supposed to do and what you need not to do. And then at the end of the day, you would think there's a test on paper because you were studying on paper. But the, but the test, test was, all right, right Omar, you're going to jump today. today. I'm like, what are you talking about, jump? It's the first day. <laughs> and and, and by, by myself? So that was very insane. But when they jump with you, they hold on to you. And then when you deploy the parachute, you're by yourself for the first time. And they give you a walkie-talkie and an earphone in your ear. So they're directing you from the ground. But this is my first time by myself. <laughs> like, that's a lot of trust. So I overcame my fear of heights. Yes. <laughs> Immediately. Get out yes. of the plane today. Yes. Uh, so the first time you jumped, you, you said you were, you know, scared of heights. Well, what was that part like for you? Like when you go in and they've got like the safety talk and the whole thing, and then you're going up in the plane were you consumed with those fearful thoughts? Absolutely. You know, you start thinking, am I ready? How do you not know that I'm not going to panic and not pull the cord? You know, there's all these questions were coming up. I'm like, this is a business? <laughs> like, man, this is dangerous. <laughs> like, there is no room for error. But you realize that you're not as scared doing it, you know, because once, you know, I hate to say weird saying it, but your training kicks in. Look at the horizon. Look at the altimeter. When it's time to go, pull. Not that hard. The hardest part is the landing of the timing. But you're so close to the ground. If you don't land right, you're just going to hit the floor. <laughs> Yeah. But the parachute's already open. So, so yeah. yeah. What an experience. I don't know if I even answer your question. I'm sorry, I it's forgot. <laughs> I feel like we were there with you. So that's the most yes. important part. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's sort of, this is a huge, I mean, I have a lot of experiences with Omar over the years, but this is a big part of the experience is, you know, me always teasing, like when he's telling me his adventures or his new things he's doing. Of course you are. Of course you're doing that. Why wouldn't you be doing that, right? Because it's yes. become... You know, it's so like non-traditional. I don't know how to say it, um, but for if you know Omar, that's just kind of how he rolls. So hey, I'm gonna take this thing and then I'm gonna go 17 steps further, and it's really cool because it's also obvious that you don't do anything that you don't love or that you're not passionate about because you put your whole self into it. And what a way to live life! 
Like, let's not spend time with the bullshit like you and I both did in the, in the sales or management part of personal training. We're like, what are we doing here, right? Like, what? Yeah. this isn't it. And we both knew that. We both jumped kind of not knowing what was on the other side of it. And I'm assuming for you and definitely for me, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to open my own business where I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Like none, zero, ba- zero business background, zero, no planning, no business plan. But I just knew that what I was doing and what I loved was missing. And you kind of attested to that, that like person to person transformation thing you definitely have in common that we want to bring that out in people and help them in, in, in different ways. Um, well, Sitting here, being happy, appreciating happiness, all of those things are inspiring. I'm going to go ahead and say that you, sir, are also inspiring. Um, for me, that's my experience. And, and it's always been my experience with you. Um, and it's really beautiful to watch you grow and shift and soften and continue to learn and read. I love, I love that you, you're like, I don't read. <laughs> seriously i didn't read my first book until after college <laughs> i don't how, how, how did i make it to through school without reading a, a book i have no idea stubbornness. who are you talking to right now because you're <laughs> that's how you made it that's how you make it through stuff right and, and there's yeah. some I mean, listen there's a lot to that that's how we survive things. that's how we get through right but the grind you can't live a life like that. And if you do, it's not a full life, in my opinion. Like there's there's grind and there's passion and excitement and living and fulfillment and all those things. Work really hard. And and to your point, like how, how did I get here? Where I've been working all this time. And what am I doing? Right? Like what am I doing? And to to really follow your heart, passion, your drive. That's living. That's fulfillment that's success that's passion that's joy and what i love is having this platform to allow stories like yours to come out and show people that even if the people around them aren't doing the motivating inspiring things that they have they're driven to do other people are you need to widen your circle right look for you know you gotta you gotta search for omar i'm not even what city he works in I'm just going to say that you'll find them if you need them, right? And it's true. If you're looking for it, you will bring it in. If you put energy toward it consistently, you will You will find it. It will come to you. It will find you, whatever the thing. And Omar and I, over the past 10 plus years, keep finding each other. And that, I'm imagining, will continue to happen. Um, but I just really appreciate you sharing your story, sharing your heart. Uh, and sharing your time with me today. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Omar.